dinner with the Baron did not go as I had expected. And though Bailey Connick is a difficult man to read, he is also a kind man. I wasn't sure why Charles first said I shouldn't speak about the Baron's family, but sometimes the truth comes to light in the smaller moments. I haven't been up here at all. This is all really new to me, but I look forward to getting to know the your town and this beautiful place. And we'll make something really lovely for your castle walls. I promise. Perhaps take a look around and paint me something unlike anything else in this this dusty old museum of a castle. Well, I did see we're up here on this amazing hill overlooking the valley. It's really beautiful. There might be a nice view. Or would you like to take a walk together and we can find something that really speaks to you maybe after dinner? Or I can show myself around. It's been quite a while since I gave anyone a tour of the castle. I would be happy to show you the grounds and show you our garden. Perhaps the two of us can find a location. Oh, I would like that very much. Charles showed me a little bit, but I'd love to see it from your perspective. That sounds wonderful. And your gardens are amazing. I feel like there might be more exciting stories to tell about that place. Maybe you could share a little. I'd look forward to it, Miss Cunningham. Ivy and the Baron spend the rest of the dinner in pleasant conversation. There's not a lot of detailed information. The Baron, while having warmed up to you, still is a bit cagey and protective. It seems that he's been this way a long time for Ivy. She sees that in his face, even though the eyes have changed, they're kinder, um, that he's still withholding a lot of information. And even though she desperately wants to ask about it, Ivy thinks better than to ask the Baron about his family once again. With the tour complete of the castle from the Baron's perspective, Ivy heads back to her room. Ivy was getting settled in for the evening in her room. The sun's going down and she's just getting comfortable, ready for bed. I do have a character building question for her, for you about her, I should say. I know that she grew flowers back home in the capital before coming to Elinwick and then grew more in the little planter box that Lockwood and Pickleson had in the window. What is she going to do about the garden she left behind? Surely it's fine. Don't (laughs) don't get bogged down in it. The story's moving along. I need to ask this question. Uh We also happen to know that Ivy left little gifts and trinkets for the garden fairies. The good folk. The good folk. What flower did she grow that are that's most associated with the good folk? There's no wrong answer. Foxglove. Foxglove. Okay. One of her favorite garden flowers was the foxgloves that um, reminded her most of the fair folk. And there are stories that say that because the fairies were often referred to as the good folk, that the name of the flowers, like over time was kind of messed up or whatever, I don't, can't think of the right word, and that it wasn't they were gloves for foxes, but they were the gloves of the folk. Folks glove. Okay. Instead of fox glove. Uh, and I just love that. Nice. So I think Ivy travels with a small linen bag of 
dried foxglove petals. They don't really have petals. They're little like caps and bells. They're bells. I just wanted to under- make sure we had the right understanding of. I don't know what you're asking her to do. I wanted to make sure it made sense. Like for scattering or like pressed flowers? I don't know. Just you have a little linen bag that has uh, bells or petals of a foxglove that have been in it. Just a memento of home that she travels with. A little good luck charm. Is that not possible? I feel like we talked about her keeping them like pressed in the pages of her journal or something before. Okay. And that like dried flowers are really delicate. And so in a loose bag, they would get broken up into powder. Sure. So it just practically speaking didn't make as much sense to me. Okay. Just trying to think through it so physically. Either go with it or yes and and explain how it is that, but it's okay. different. Okay. So I, yeah, I can see a little linen satchel kind of like a coin purse sized with some of those in it where it has two sides so it can be a flattened little bag and that she can keep it kind of between in the inside cover or something of her bag so that they don't get all crushed once they're delicate. Mm. So with my reasons for asking, them being crushed would be okay. But I, I hear that. I wonder if maybe instead of the bells or petals, it's seeds. I mean, they could have been, I mean, like I'm thinking bags of hibiscus petals for tea. Those are all like withered up mm-hmm. and they're not supposed to like look like the formal flower itself, but they're, but you would keep that in a little sachet for, you know, tea or whatever. Box gloves are poisonous in every way, so you wouldn't make that into a tea. <laughs> but just to have, I guess you could, or the, or the seeds for sprinkling and you could always grow more wherever you land. I like that idea a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay. You want me to say that one? I mean, you just said it. But it was like in the middle of a bunch of all their garble. So yeah, I think that she would, um, she could keep their seeds to, in her mind, it would be to sprinkle them wherever she might land since she was going on an adventure and didn't know where she'd end up. But she always wanted to make sure she had the ability to plant those to remind her of home and to welcome the good folk wherever she might be. Okay. So let's call these flowers um, folks glove instead of the fox glove. Love. Folks glove. Okay, because cool. in this world, they wouldn't be poisonous. You could easily make a tea out of them. Oh, neat. They have a bit of, I was going to say that they have a pleasant aroma, but they don't really have an aroma when they're dried. Lavender does. I know. But okay. for the sake of story okay. here, these don't have a smell. And then you've got the seeds. So you can kind of like, your bag has a little mixture of some crushed petals that you can pinch out and kind of drop in some tea if you wanted to or scatter them where you land and it's got some of the seeds with it. I love that. In our make-believe world, we can make them into an unpoisonous, lovely thing like I've always wanted. (laughs) So describe for me a little bit of Ivy's bedtime routine of brewing a soft, gentle cup of Volksglove tea. Okay, this is where my brain has trouble getting out of the weeds because I'm thinking through the logistics of... Oh no, he said that she could go to the kitchen, right? I'm like in a room that's not her home. Where does she get hot water? Blah, blah, blah. There's a little fireplace. You have a little kettle. Okay, awesome. Yeah, just it all, It's taking place in your room. So, Beautiful. And you have everything you need. Okay, I love that. She has a little fireplace with a little hot kettle that she can make hot water over the fire. She finds great joy and warmth in being able to sit next to a warm yellow orange fire and being able to get her little sachet out of her bag and she sprinkles in some of the bigger petals. She feels like this is a special night, a big new transition to something big. She can just feel it. And so she doesn't always make sure to, she doesn't always use this because she does, they're, they're special and she doesn't have endless amounts. But tonight she's like, 
I'm gonna use the big puddles <laughs> that are dried up and she puts it in and stirs it with a little spoon that I think she keeps with her and just cozies up and sits and stares and thinks and wonders while she holds her cup of tea. Mm-hmm. I think she's already in her nightgown. Yeah. She, she gets all the way ready so that she can go straight from the comfort of her tea to the comfort of her blankets. <laughs> And after her tea, Ivy drifts off to sleep in a bed that's much more comfortable than she's used to. The next days and weeks begin to pass for her as the Baron introduces her to some of the things that he enjoys most about Kildale. He takes her for tours of the city itself and she meets many of the people uh, who revere the Baron in the street. She sees that This is a community, uh, while small, that's very closely knit together. Everyone seems to have taken it as they've had a second lease on life the last couple of generations. And Ivy begins to get a sense of what painting for the Baron would actually mean. She pours into the people that are here. The the Baron's eyes light up whenever he speaks about the people of Kildale, and the Baron gets quiet whenever he speaks about his life at the castle. She can see where the joy is. And one evening, after the painting, Charles kind of, he's he's loosened up to you and has been less cagey with information with what the Baron said about making sure that you have all the information. has been a little bit more forthcoming than he was on the original tour. And he goes into a story about the Baron, wanting to know a little bit more about him. Ivy learns that the Baron was the commander of an army of the Northern Territories when they revolted 20, 30 years ago. The Northern Territories were part of the Empire of Glenic, but they revolted for independence and joined Garia, putting an enemy actually on Glenic Island. What this means is that the Baron was the commander of soldiers that were fighting against your people, against the Empire of Glenic. And then again, he was leading a group of people that was fighting against us? Correct. He he was against us? He started against you. But now he's not? Correct. Oh. Garia's influence on the Northern Territories was a key issue with the Northern Revolt because Garia didn't have an interest in anything other than weakening the empire of Glenic. They didn't care about the people of the Northern Territories. They didn't care about the people of Glenic. And this led to Baron then commander, Connick, receiving orders to march to Kildale and raise it to the ground, destroy the fortress, destroy the castle, and to send a message to the Empire of Glenic that they were strong, he was to eliminate the entire city. Whoa. Men, women, and children. But Connick is an honorable man. This was not an order he could follow. He lived comfortably in the Northern Territories and had much to risk and much to lose. But his soldiers agreed with him that they shouldn't murder and maim. And so they switched sides and defended the city of Kildale. They put themselves on the line and fought their own for months. The result was that the Northern Territories couldn't 
get further into Kellybrook. This is the pass, the only way soldiers can get into the land to further their territory. And so Commander Connick prevented the Northern Territories from taking much of the land that they desired in the peace treaty that came later. It's no surprise that Commander Connick was branded a traitor, is hated by those of the Northern Territories. His wife, who was used to quite the lap of luxury in the Northern Territories, had to flee for fear of reprisals, and the barony of Kildale was granted to the commander at the end of the war by the Empire of Glenick as a thank you for defending its people. So you'll find, Miss Ivy, that the lines of Kildale and the people here are fiercely loyal to the Baron himself. They're a close-knit community dedicated to protecting one another. This is the thing that the Empire, the Emperor, or I guess the Empress now, fail to see when they send these gifts, is that they don't matter. The status wasn't the reason why the Baron changed sides. It was because it was the right thing to do. Couldn't it be a form of honor to honor him, not something to just, I can't think of the word, placate him? Perhaps, but most of this seems to be a way of ensuring that the Baron won't switch sides again. Oh, are they really concerned about that? They shouldn't be, but I imagine some in the faraway capital don't understand the loyalty and honor that this man has. They don't know or they fail to see how much the change cost him. How could they not to change, to leave your family and your nation and your home and fight so hard? Wouldn't it be obvious? It's an unseen cost, rarely talked about. I imagine you saw the painting in the office of the Baron's wife and child. Oh, that was his son? Was his son. But see, Baron's wife was used to a much more luxurious lifestyle and living in the castle was uncomfortable for her. Well, you see, this town isn't very opulent. See, the, the thing that is untalked about and that the capital doesn't seem to know is the extent of the Baron's honor led him here to a place of far less wealth and status than he shared in the Northern Territory. Oh, yeah. And his wife left with his son shortly after they came to live here. How terribly sad. How long ago was that? It was early on, perhaps almost 20 years ago. Has he seen his family since? His son will have grown up by now. No one knows where they are. Oh, no. The Baron continues to search. It's his greatest sadness is that he, that his family is not here with them. Of course it is. So you might understand why the Baron would be a bit more standoffish. He busies himself with tending to his troops and to the matters of the township. Are the soldiers still, like, at a time of war, right? Like, what do they do? I mean, I guess I don't know much about the military world in reality, so I know that we still have active, active people, but what does that mean when you don't have anything to fight? They just keep vigilant? The Lions of Kildale are loyal to the Baron. They changed sides with him. They all agreed to leave their homes in to come here. So they are a unique regiment. They 
oversee and protect the pass between Kellybrook and the Northern Territories. They're a formidable fighting force, but... So they're just always vigilant and acting as guards between this place so that no one will come and decide to invade again? That's correct. They ensure that the Northern Territories or Garia cannot have another incursion. But it's getting late, Mrs. Cunningham. I'm afraid that we'll need to retire for the evening. Charles, thank you for telling me more about the Baron and the story of this place. Of course, madam. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Have a good rest. And he escorts you back to your room, or it leaves you to settle in for the evening. The With the sun having set and it being dark out, the summer air in the mountains gets a bit of a chill to it. But I would say that the room itself has gotten a little bit warm while making the tea. And Ivy goes to the window that looks out to the garden and cracks it open to get a little bit more of the cooler breeze in. And I would like an easy vigilance check with a setback. So one purple, one black. Seems hardly fair. Surely this will go well for me. Fully? <laughs> last, last word. I don't even feel like I should argue for anything. So good. Okay. In fact, I think if anything, she is not, she's in such a, she's feeling really good. She's like, the day ended on a good note. Socially speaking, she's got some good information. She's in a beautiful place and she loves the mountain air. And this bedtime tea routine is really nice. So she's kind of wistful and not expecting pretty much anything out of the ordinary. Three successes and an advantage. Three successes and an advantage. Nothing bad there. Nothing bad there at all. As Ivy's looking out from the window, so in a darker corner of the garden is the locked garden that Ivy had spotted earlier that wasn't pointed out to her on the tour. It's in the darkened shadows of the garden, but out of the corner of her eye, Ivy spots a flicker of light, a pale blue light that is moving kind of quickly. It would be similar to a firefly, but it was bluish in color. I need to understand where, is it behind the closed off wall or in the garden? It's in the, it's behind the closed off door. It is in the section of the locked off garden. So how am I seeing it? The top is open. You're a store, you're a couple stories up. Oh, you did not tell me that. Sorry. I definitely thought I was ground level. No, you're on like the second or third story. So I can see down into the forbidden area? Well, the forbidden area's walls are also tall. But they're not as tall and they are open at the top. So you're not seeing like down in, but you can see the okay. fact that it's open. Uh-huh. There. Yeah. And that's where a flash of light has caught your eye. So I'm not seeing the source that's down in it, but the light coming off of it. Correct. Yeah. Because when you say firefly, I'm like, I'm thinking that she sees a point of light flying through the air. No, just a flicker of light. Okay. A, a, a quick glow and then uh, okay. it's off. And it, it happens a few times, but she isn't seeing a direct point of light. She instantly pricks up and kind of sets her elbows up on the window and kind of leans out. Pausing and waiting a couple of minutes, the lights happen again. And then again, they're intermittent, but there's something that's blinking or causing a glow in the garden. Is it in equal intervals or random? Like, is It's, it, it's oh, random. It's, it's not okay. not predictable. Okay. She just doesn't know what to do. She wants to keep watching and find out. Like, I think she thinks that either eventually in a few moments it'll stop and she won't see it again. But does it? Does it just keep happening? How long is she? She would want to stay there until something was revealed. From her vantage point, she can't 
see the source of the light and the intervals that the light blinks are, are random. They sometimes have minutes between seeing anything. There's moments that she thinks the show, so to speak, is over, but there's nothing she can see from this window. I want to know if it, like, I wish I could be there in real life to know if it feels like a place where she's allowed to, in the night, get up and leave and walk around and even visit the garden like a weirdo in the middle of the night, or if it feels like she definitely should stay in her room or would she would get... matter to Ivy here? There's a mystery Oof. in a garden. Does she go downstairs or not? Yes. Okay. Okay. So she's thinking, I'm not going to do anything bad. I'm just going to walk down the hall a little bit to the garden gate door like whatever exit there is to, into the garden and kind of feel it out as she goes if she doesn't hear anyone she's just gonna keep walking she hears someone and we'll deal with that <laughs> ivy's path to the door in the garden is unobstructed everybody else has seemed to have settled in for the night she's really eager as she walks through the building but as she gets closer to the actual garden and realizing that she's going outside at night barefoot in her nightgown she gets a little nervous and scared because she realizes suddenly, I don't actually know what that is. And outside it in the dark can be kind of scary, especially when you don't know what's going on. <laughs> she feels a little trepidatious before actually like opening the door to go outside. So she goes ahead and walks out into the garden, walks softly up to the door, the wooden door of this wall, this strange area, and just looks straight up. See if she can see the lights still, see if anything is still, if light is still being emitted from behind the wall back in there. And pausing at the door, Ivy looking for this kind of clue, is it still happening? She can realize down here that the light wouldn't be bright enough to see from down here. So she instantly, she looks up, she observes that, that she, she wouldn't be able to see the same as what she saw from her window. So the obvious next step is to peek in the keyhole. There's a keyhole, right? There's a keyhole. <laughs> of course there's a keyhole. And she bends down and she tries to see in. As she's unconsciously holding her breath while looking through the keyhole. I'm so nervous. She hears a very faint yet very friendly giggle <laughs> and a hint of blue light from around a corner. It's hard to see any detail through the keyhole. Like it would be pitch black, I would assume, <laughs> apart from whatever might be lighting it up. The, the little hint of light seemed to be kind of behind perhaps another little hedge inside. Like, it, she does not get a direct look inside, but she does see the light. Does the door have a handle or a knob? Like, is it a padlock or just a closed door? You know, you said it was locked earlier. Was there an obvious lock? I can't remember. You're, the, the lock is the keyhole. Okay, so it's not like through. a padlock put on the door. Mm -hmm. The door has a lock. That, yeah. Okay, built in like a door does. With the, with the knob. I reaches out for the knob to see if, who knows, maybe it's not locked. Got to try it. Mm -hmm. It is locked. What would you like to roll to get in? You have a decent skullduggery. Would you like to pick the lock? Yeah, I'm trying to think. We peeked through. There's something interesting. The door doesn't unlock. She wants to round this. Like, is it, can you walk around it 360? Because it's a, like we talked, it's like an island within the garden. It's not part of yeah, it's kind of tucked wall. away in a corner, but yeah. But you could walk around the whole wall. Mm -hmm. So she's going to do that first to get a feel. Like, how big is this little hidden place? And is there another entry? Is there anything else around the perimeter from the outside? The whole area is 
walled off except for that one door. Just walls covered in in vines. Well, the the walls that you currently see are the largely the hedges that have been trimmed for the wall. The ivy kind of comes out the the top and has been trimmed back a little bit, mm-hmm. except for the one side that the door is on. The more obscure, the most obscured side of the the garden has the ivy kind of obscuring the door that's come down on this side. But the the rest of it, the if it's a square, is it a square? It's a square. Oh. Three of the four sides are neatly trimmed hedges from the level that you're on, and then one side is this door with that's obscured by ivy. So before she tries to open it, she's gonna bend down and whisper back to the voices really quietly, just to see if something in there will interact with her. Oh. All right. So for the next stage of your adventure, you have to roll something. You can try and unlock the door with Skullduggery. You can try and speak to the whatever you're seeing over there. That's some kind of social check. Or you can try and convince me of something else that she would do. But those are the two things there. I guess... Out of game, I would just mention that you wanted to pick locks. So you have a very strong lock picking skill. Okay. I think that was way before I kind of got a different vision for who the character was. I should have been talking more about her character earlier, about like, she's pretty bold and curious and interested in exploring places and going places she's not really supposed to be, which I hadn't really been playing her That's like fine. until now. But so. Did she have? Really? Okay. You went a bunch of places you weren't supposed to go. <laughs> she didn't mean to, though. Anyway. So she looks at it and hopes that it is a really old, really simple lock that looks like, and she immediately starts looking around on the ground and is like, is there like a stick I could try to wiggle this thing open with? Then maybe decides that the hairpin she has could work. And she has definitely practiced this on a few places in her house. She always thought it was so sneaky and fun and adventurous. She will roll skullduggery. All right. Your skullduggery skill is one yellow and two green. The fact that she has a great interest in picking locks and has tried it a few times, is that already covered by what the the sheet says, or can I get a boost for that? You can have a boost because you're using the hairpin in particular. Because I have a tool, so to speak. You have a tool, so to speak. Okay. And it's something I get to break if things go You get to break my hairpin? Yep. Okay. You're going to need two purple and a black. Okay. Two purple, a black, a blue, two greens, and a yellow. I got three successes and one third. That sounds pretty good. I'm happy with that. So Ivy puts the hairpin into the keyhole and is able to wiggle it a little bit. And here's the latch inside turn with a little click unlocking the door. And there is a much louder kind of crack or click as she turns the knob. It's old and the door clearly hasn't been used in a long time. And it makes a rather no. loud <laughs> no. sound. She is terrified. She instantly spins around to make sure no one's looking out a window or standing behind her. Nobody outside the garden seemed to hear it, but there's an odd, friendly, small voice that she overhears faintly. Like in response to me or like to me? It sounds like like someone's hiding. 
So telling each other to hush, not telling me to hush. Correct. Okay. Going in through the door, Ivy sees a kind of like hedgerow entryway that kind of narrows. So as the door opens, it's a large kind of rectangular shape of hedges that frame an arch that she follows through to the center of this room. And it's covered in vines and overgrown. The inside of this space has not seen anyone care for it for some time. But there are rows and rows of flowers and plants that have thrived despite a, a despite care, I should say. Lack of care. A lack of care, <laughs> yes. And in the center is four like stone benches arranged in like a little circular pattern or kind of a diamond pattern maybe be the best way to describe it since this is a square so kind of each corner gets a little stone bench that you could sit on and the very middle of the space that you're walking into the ground is a little bit of like crushed gravel <laughs> and then the plants kind of hang across the whole walls and all of that there's a few hedgerows that kind of divide things up a little bit giving a backing and breaking up the space but all of those are covered in there's not presently any light or lights as she stands quietly in the center. So she steps in and very gingerly makes sure to close the door so that if anybody walks through, doesn't see it ajar, also makes sure it doesn't click shut behind her because she's smart and stands there and kind of lets the lets her eyes adjust and listens and the Hello. Does she hear anything back? Not initially. Did Ivy bring her folks glove bag with her? I was just thinking that. So she stands there and is a little disappointed to see that whatever was in there is clearly like she has caused it to disappear. And suddenly she remembers and looks down that her hand is still clutching the little bag of folks glove seeds and petals that she has. And she looks at it and just takes out a few and holds them out in her palm and, and stands there peacefully and holds them out. And I don't, I think she would wait to see if that does anything. So Ivy standing with her hand out with the seeds mm-hmm. on it, it's almost like giving, trying to feed like a wild animal, you know, birds and very still and quiet. And she stands for what feels like ages. It's very quiet and still and eventually she hears some little friendly voices arguing. Maybe she knows where she is. Be quiet, Perry Rico. I'm going to ask her. It's dangerous. Don't do it. I don't mean any harm. Everything gets quiet again. Who's there? I- I'm Ivy. And a hush falls over the, the garden again. At this point, she genuinely starts to think, could it be? Could I actually get, could they be here for real? I don't think she's ever genuinely seen them, just believed and seen and evidence to her mind in her garden and such. But she's getting kind of giddy, like, this is it, it has to be them. So after a while longer of standing there, the hand out, like quietly, from under the vine, a little blue glow appears and out comes 
the thing Ivy most hoped to see. It lands gently on her fingertips and nervously wrings its hands. She is this small little pixie, a few wings, and looks up at you and says, Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Foxglove Letters. We hope you've enjoyed the adventure so far and can't wait to see where the story goes. Before we go, we want to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have a question for our players, their characters, a comment on the story, or just want to say hello, drop us a line at diceycantina at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube at diceycantina for behind the scenes, artwork, and world building. Or if you just prefer to chat, join the Discord. Links to everything are in the show notes. If you're enjoying the show, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform as it helps us grow the show and reach more listeners. The Fox Club Letters is a creation of Dicey Cantina, playing Genesis by Edge Studio. Until next time, dear listeners, don't forget the words of Mr. Cunningham when he said, don't just watch the world pass you by. Reach out and grab the stars. <laughs>